friends, a quick update on our developing project to support the Ukrainian church during this traumatic time. As you hear this, I am in Romania on an emergency trip to assess refugee needs and to identify ministry partners to help rescue Christians still trapped in Ukraine and to support those who choose to stay. Please cover our team with your consistent and persistent prayers. I'll have much to report when I return in mid-March. In the meantime, please support the work and this broadcast with your generous gift today. Give online at CompassionRadio.com or call toll-free 1-800-868-2478. Please contact us today. And thank you. It's time for Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. Chasing the Word here on Compassion Radio, and we're so glad you've joined us today. It is in chapter 18 that we begin today. So thanks for being at the microphone with me, honey. We spent the last number of weeks with Jesus in special session with his disciples. And for those chapters, we went through a lot of the critical things that have become part of our Christian worship over the centuries, including communion, things like foot washing for many denominations. They still practice this. And the opportunity to teach in private, away from everything else, about what's coming next. Mm-hmm. And it was so intense and so repetitive and so beat it into their skulls kind of event. Urgent. That the urgency is not lost on us, but it's like, we got to get moving here. And that's exactly what happens here in chapter 18. After we spent the time we did with Jesus in prayer, just begin to see the passion that he yeah. was feeling for his followers and for us. And we're moving with them because he just finished praying over them and praying for us across the centuries. So we're along for the ride here because Jesus literally put us in the seat with these guys. Mm. What happens after they left the upper room? Beginning in verse 1, chapter 18. After Jesus had said all these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some temple police from the chief priests and Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. When Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it you're looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When he told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Who is it you're looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, Sheathe your sword. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish temple police arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was advantageous that one man should die for the people. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. 
So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter inside. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the slaves and the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Okay, so we're off to the races now. The part of this part of the chapter that's always grabbed me so much is just this bizarre little scene of Jesus announcing himself. We read like, it's me, I'm the guy you're looking for. We brush right past that. But then we read that everybody is taken aback, takes a knee, or falls down. Yeah. You know, that one motion of him speaking the name again does something. Well, it's an I am statement. It's an I am statement. We follow those along through the entire book. And something about this particular I am feels to me like the emotion of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son are all speaking in that name yeah. right then. That it's like, it's really going to happen. You have no clue what's coming your direction, but you asked who I am, I am. Mm. And just in the forcefulness of that, from the heart of God comes this wave of power that knocks back the sternest soldiers. Yeah. It was a bomb going off in their midst emotionally, like their hearts are being just rattled and they have to recover. It seems to me like what helped them recover was Peter. Hmm. Right at that moment, he interrupts all this going on, swings his sword out there, and whacks the guy's ear off. <laughs> now all the attention is on Peter, what he's just done to this guy. Mm. He is out of control at this point, and it resets everybody's attention and focus. Yeah. In other words, he kind of blew the moment. You can imagine if Peter had not done that, if that I am statement had just hung there, how long that would have lasted before Jesus finally had to tell him, okay, you're here to arrest me, get on with it. Well, he does say it again. They, he does. When they fall down and they're just kind of sitting there, I think, on the ground, maybe picking themselves up a little bit. He says, who are you looking for? Right. He says it again. And they repeat it. And he's like, I told you, right. I'm he. I'm the one, you know. I think what really moves me the most about this is that this great thing happened. The power and the passion of God were expressed enough to knock soldiers on the yeah. rear ends. And Peter is so full of his own rage right now, he can't even see the amazing thing God just did. Hmm. All he can think of is saving Jesus. So he whips that sword out and starts swinging. Hmm. How often do we try to save Jesus? Uh, too many times, I think. <laughs> or we just don't pay attention to the move of God that's really happening right next to us. We mm -hmm. just don't see it because it's not where our eyes are focused. Right. It is really easy, I think, to be blind to the thing God is really about because we're not asking him to show it to us. We're not asking him to actually put our focus in his direction. Well, you know, I have such a heart for Peter. I, I think <laughs> he gets a bum rap so often. He's, you know, the bumbling fisherman. He's the hothead. He's, you know, the one that speaks out and then trips on his face so often. But I just feel like Peter is trying. He's really trying to understand what's happening. He's wanting to continue this life that they've enjoyed, maybe, and, and it's been hard, probably, too, in the last three years. He loves Jesus deeply, and he is all about making sure that Jesus completes his mission. I don't think he understands what Jesus' mission actually yeah. was at the time. But he's all about that, protecting Jesus and making sure they're focused and that they're getting to the place where they're supposed to be, even if he doesn't know exactly where that is. Well, I think his actions come out of fear, too. Oh, sure. And I think he fears not having Jesus around. 
Jesus always seems to get him in the right frame of mind, right? Mm. So when this threat comes, of course, you want to protect the guy you're with, but there's still a lot of selfishness going on there. Where it's not like he's trusting God to take care of him when Jesus has to go do his thing. If Jesus says, I got to go to the cross, I got to go to the cross, you would think by this time, as tough as it was, those who love him would say, you're the boss. We have no idea what this means. We don't know how to handle this, but you call the shots. Peter seemed to live by the adage of ready, fire, aim, hmm. and jumps in there. And then the very next scene, Jesus is not there to set things right or calm him down or to reset him. Jesus is off in a trial. What does Peter do when he doesn't have Jesus right there to talk him off the cliff? He denies him. He falls apart, and he denies him, and, and he knows he's doing it. Hmm. He can't not hear his own mouth saying, no, I don't know the guy. He just seems like a person who hasn't yet step into a mature grounding and relationship where you trust it. You really, really trust it. Well, I still think you're throwing Peter under the bus here because <laughs> I think that any of us walking through this horrible situation, I mean, Jesus has just spent time telling us, I'm going away, I'm coming back, I'm going away again, Holy Spirit's coming, I'm going to be killed on the tree, you know, and they're reeling from all of the things that Jesus has been telling them over the last few hours. So they go one of the other Gospels talks about how it was late. It was so late at night. They were exhausted and mm. they were falling asleep when Jesus asked them to pray with them. Yeah. So we know that there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of emotion that is huge right now. Exhaustion, trauma, all of those things. It's the perfect storm. Yeah. You know, I get hangry when I'm <laughs> hungry and tired. You know, those things bubble up in me and, and I don't hold my tongue or draw my sword a little quicker than maybe I should sometimes. But Peter is displaying all that. He's terrified when Jesus is arrested and he follows along and the disciple that gets Peter into the courtyard, we don't really know who that is. We don't know if that is John or not. I think he's terrified and he's responding out of that great fear. Like you said yeah. earlier, he's afraid. He's not responding. He's reacting, reacting out of great fear. Good word for that. We need to take that lesson to heart. And I am, by the way, honey, very glad he's there as Peter in this because mm -hmm. he doesn't give us cover, but he gives us safety to confess our own fears, right. our own inadequacies, our own rages, and let God still accept us. Because we read to the end of the book, Peter comes out shining. Yeah. But through a lot of hassle in his life and a lot of hurt and a lot of persecution, mm -hmm. had to knock it out of him. And then eventually we know from tradition that he ended up dying in a very similar fashion as Jesus on a cross, but upside down. Mm-hmm. Not a fun way to go. But everything about him has been transformed by that time to be a guy who can suffer great indignities mm -hmm. and never lose his focus or his centeredness. Something about him is so deeply transformed by what Jesus did in his heart as a result of Pentecost that he was never the same again. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that Peter is there to remind me that when I blow it, it ain't the end of the story. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, too, what you make of the gospel writer John making a point of naming this servant who got his ear cut off. It's not usual in ancient literature to have the bystanders, the you know background people, the man on the street stuff, to be named mm -hmm. or called out. But this guy was. In this one verse in the entire Bible, the name Malchus will forever be known as a guy who got his ear cut off and was the last guy in the life of Jesus before he came back resurrected that was healed by Jesus. Right, right. So something about that was really, really important to John to make sure that we knew who he was. 
What do you think that was? Oh, goodness. I think we could speculate all day about the reason for that. It's possible that Malchus then became a believer and was part of the church in Jerusalem after that. So John is reminding people that this is the guy. This mm. is who, you know, you know Malchus. This is him. This is where he came to His know Jesus. Story. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that, yeah. but I love historical fiction books. <laughs> and yeah. I can't remember the author now that I was reading, but there was a story about this time in the life of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection and those that were in that scene. And there were some characters that were made up and then the characters that were actually real people. And Malchus was one of them in the book. And they said, well, he could have been someone that helped later on in the church. I mean, I'd like to kind of think maybe he is. Maybe that was transforming to him that Jesus healed him. Since the Gospels were given to the church to help them understand the story of how they came to be, the church existed before the Gospels were written. The followers of the way were spreading. Paul was preaching from the Old Testament to all the Greek-speaking world, and the Gospels were still not written. So by the time they come around, it is a foundational document to recenter us and reground us. It also is an evidentiary statement. You're saying these things really happened. When John puts names like Malchus in there, he's an historical figure. And as the servant, as the slave, perhaps, of the head priest, mm -hmm. He had a significant presence in city and in history that people could look it up. So I would think for at least the first century, where the first generation of readers of the Gospels, it was essential that if he was named in the book saying, this is an important event in the life of Jesus and the life of us as mm -hmm, disciples, mm -hmm. to be able to put the name on there and say, this is a historical figure that we met the hard way. He existed and he kept working for the chief priest. You know, that man took his testimony from that point forward right into the very heart of the temple grounds. Right. right. Everyone probably the rest of his life asked him, how did you lose that ear? How did you get it put back on? That story would never leave him. Mm -hmm. So if anything, God transformed what was meant for evil against Malchus into something that was for God's glory and for his good. Yeah. Uh, I would like to think that he found his way into the family. The family found its way around him. Mm-hmm. But even if he didn't, I think there's always a reason why names get mentioned. And it's obvious to me that John is trying to tell a true account as well as a meaning story, explaining what it all meant while it was happening, which good biographies are supposed to do anyway. For 78 years now, we've depended on the faithful encouragement of friends just like you to bring this unique radio and media ministry to the air each day. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we have a very special giving opportunity to double your gift for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. Our friend Oleg Magdich is busy right now, and we need to stand with them. This matching gift is for at least $1,200 and available to you if you'll give this week. Our toll-free order line is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. If you need to call early or late, that's okay. Just make sure to leave your name and phone number, and we'll get back to you immediately when the doors open each business day. You can also give anytime online at CompassionRadio.com. And if you prefer to put a stamp on it, you can always find us at Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. God bless you as you stretch your faith. I hope we can be a real encouragement and challenge to you for many, many years to come. And make sure to ask for your own copy of The Dynamic Gospel when you contact us today. Let's turn to The Dynamic Gospel now. Again, chapter 18 of John, verse 1. The sharing and encouragement completed, it was time to face the music. Jesus left together with his students to the other bank of the seasonal creek known as Kedron, where there was a peaceful garden. They rested there for a while, waiting. 
Jesus chose the spot precisely because it was well known to Judas, the one who, at the very moment, was setting in motion the great betrayal. It was a private spot for the students to gather, but easy to find. Judas, now backed by a gang of temple thugs, along with religious riffraff, appeared brandishing torches and weapons. Jesus rose to meet them before anyone else, and he said, Who do you want? They answered, Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus, eh? Well, here I am. Judas was right in the middle of the belligerent crowd. Something about his words stunned them so much they fell backward to the ground. Jesus stated again, Who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, much less convincingly. I told you, I am. If that is whom you want to arrest, get on with it. These men have nothing to do with your job. Let them go. So, Jesus' words were fulfilled as spoken to his father when he said, Not one have I lost of those who remain. Simon Peter was armed as well as any of the mob, and he wasn't about to stand around doing nothing. He drew his sword and swung wildly. One of the chief priest's slaves, named Malchus, caught the blow on the side of the head. The stroke tore off the man's ear. Jesus dressed down Peter on the spot. Put that away! Now! My father has mapped all this out. It's hard enough as it is. Am I supposed to set aside this bitter cup because of you? The captain of the guard gave the signal. The crowd slammed Jesus to the ground and bound him hand and foot. Emboldened, the mob dragged Jesus triumphantly back into town, straight to the house of Annas, the senior priest, and father-in-law of Caiaphas, the chief priest of the temple that year. It was the decision of Caiaphas to finally seize Jesus, fulfilling his own words that it's expedient for one man to die for the entire people. In the crush of the masses, it was difficult to follow, but Peter and another disciple kept close and followed Jesus right to the house of Annas. The second disciple personally knew a number of the house staff and convinced them to let him in. Peter waited outside the courtyard door while the other negotiated. Finally, both were let in. While the other disciple went about gathering information, Peter waited with the house staff in the courtyard. So, what's your connection to this mess? Are you one of this crazy preacher's students? asked the young woman who attended the door. Who, me? Peter replied. No, I I have nothing to do with him, he lied. There they all stood, servants, soldiers, and nervous visitor, crowding around a charcoal fire, trying to keep warm. I always find it interesting, this little scene with Peter and him pulling his sword. I mean, most translations will say that it was Roman soldiers that were there and the temple guard, the temple police, especially the Roman soldiers are very well trained. I imagine that the temple police were armed and, you know, somewhat trained as well. Yep. What was Peter thinking? Why? You know, <laughs> I think I mean, we established we in our last conversation. Yeah. He's pretty whacked out at this point. Right. He's just reacting, as you said, out of real anger. Yeah. And the guy was known for being a hotshot and for being ready to boil at any moment. He's just, he was a hot-blooded kind of guy. Yeah. I don't know. I just always find that interesting that he pulls a sword. He's the only one of them that has a weapon. So we, are, we, know, of, we yeah. know of. Then there's this whole entourage of armed soldiers and police. Does he think he's going to defend the whole group against this mob, basically? He <laughs> almost like he wants to die for a glorious cause. <laughs> I'll, I'll save you, Jesus. Run yeah. for it. And stands there and takes the blows. <laughs> Everything about him seems to be theater. Yeah. And I think he probably expected to die on the spot for doing that. Yeah. But Jesus, again, interrupted his best laid plans and did something that he should have expected Jesus would do. Jesus had always been a healer Mm. and always been a peacemaker, and he was always about his father's business. All these things are colliding at this moment 
and Peter is in the monkey works. Right. He's messing up the entire plan. And yet Jesus does something for Peter's sake that he did not deserve at all, which was to make right the thing Peter did wrong, the big one. He healed Malchus's ear and put it right back on his head. Yeah. So he reset the entire scene in one way, but also brought them through it to a whole different scene. Mm-hmm. You know, now all those who have no news, all the other ones there who have no previous knowledge of Jesus, they don't know him by sight, they have to ask for him by name, suddenly see the things that everyone else has been talking about. Jesus heals people on the spot. Right, right. And he's a no-nonsense guy. He gets right down to business. So they are as aware of the character and the personality of Jesus as anyone else is now because of that scene. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, I would say it brought out the best in Jesus. Well, that's not so hard to do. <laughs> no. So they grab him and tie him up and they take him to Annas and the questioning begins as far as we know. People are in this courtyard warming themselves. We don't know who all's there other than a few servants maybe of the chief priests and all of these people are there. Maybe Malchus was there even, you know, I don't know. Well, I'm sure that all of these people that are stuck in the courtyard got crowded out of the house. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably going about their normal routines and taking care of stuff in the palace. And they'll suddenly have a huge crowd and there's not enough room for them anymore. So get out. Right. They're stuck out in the cold night air and they got to do something. So they're kind of keeping warm. They're probably not real happy. <laughs> with the situation. And Maybe. so they're already agitated when Peter starts showing up and he looks like some guy from the north. He looks like someone from Nazareth. That part of the country had a certain look and feel and style. I mean, if you recognize a Southern Belle versus somebody from Seattle grunge culture or something like that in our country, you would say, I pretty much have a good idea where they came from. So just on sight, Peter's being called out for being somebody who's probably one of those guys from the north. And hey, if you're from Nazareth, you're probably with this preacher. Well, maybe he had an accent of some maybe kind, too. too. Could we hear the, in his speech the way he talked? So you got Jesus' bouncer, who now is all rattled. And he's touchy, and he's panicked. And you've got all these other people who are normally just servants you would not think much of, but they're getting kind of angry and uppity. And those two people are colliding in the same courtyard, and suddenly this big old tough guy is afraid of some servant girl mm-hmm. because she's calling him out. It's one of those interesting flips of the coin here, which kind of goes to show that when stuff gets stirred, people don't always play a type anymore. Mm. You're off your mark on the stage. You're Mm -hmm. not in the right place. So you're not going to do the right thing as far as what you've been programmed to do. And so everybody in the story at this point is off their mark, except for Jesus. Well, I think it's important for us to remember that it's easy to get off your mark when your whole way of life is threatened. Yeah. When everything that you've known for so long and you've come to love and um, <clears throat> want to continue yeah. is getting dumped out on the floor. Right. And you have to choose at that point. Are you going to react to a situation and handle it poorly, maybe like Peter did, get angry and lash out at people around you? Or are you going to figure out how to respond Like Jesus. And I know that sounds like, oh, well, that was Jesus. Of course he could do that. But again, we have to go back to chapter 17, where Jesus says, when I go away, I will send the comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. And we as believers now have the benefit of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. So we can make that choice of, are we going to react in anger or in fear or aggression? Or are we going to respond because the peace of Jesus is really in us? And when we don't respond well, what is Jesus himself going to do next? On this side of the cross, 
we can expect good stuff. Mm -hmm. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that means those of us who are already in him when we do stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of stupid things we could be doing these days that we need to be aware that we could easily be sucked up again into the world's fear, the world's anxiety. And when we do, it's going to bring it back to the cross and say, okay, God, yeah, I got sucked into this. Mm -hmm. Can you clean this out? Because I don't know how to get all out of me, but thank you that Jesus does not condemn me, that he made it possible for me to come to you. That place where we know there's mercy and there's grace and there's a reset. And that's the gift we have in all these things. So that's where we're going to leave chapter 18 of John, the first part. And we'll come back next Monday with that next section about the trial of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us again on Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. joining us today. Send your special gift for the church in Ukraine today, and it will be doubled with a matching grant. Call 1-800-868-2478 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.